Right, let's talk about Borussia Dortmund then, because we're at the end of 2022 now. There's a long break until Dortmund's next game in the Bundesliga. And having thought about it, and I know it's not my decision to make, but having thought about it, I've sort of gone back and forth on Erdin Terzic and gone back and forth on Borussia Dortmund this year. But I think the last two games, the defeat to Wolfsburg and this defeat against Gladbach, has mainly come to the conclusion Erdin Terzic should be fired. Hello and welcome back to the Going Deutsch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who has a very easy answer to the question, what was the time you were most wrong in your life? I've got my go-to answer already sorted, so that's really convenient for me. So, how was everyone's weekend? I hope you had a good weekend. I had a good weekend, thank you so much for asking. A few really good games in German football, of course, to talk about. But it was a good weekend of sport in general. There were a few good games from other leagues as well. Obviously, Atletico Madrid beating Sevilla 6-1 in La Liga. The, I guess, Betis Madrid 0-0 because it shows that Barcelona are almost certainly going to win the league title now. And, of course, that 7-0 victory for Liverpool against Manchester United. It was a really good weekend of football. But also, I mentioned cycling on the podcast last week and I would be absolutely mortified with myself if I didn't mention that Tom Pidcock won Strada Bianchi this weekend. Woo! Anyone who listened to Vive La Tour last year will know how much I like Tom Pidcock. He's my favourite cyclist. It might be my favourite sportsman in the world in general. So... Yeah, absolutely incredible to see him win Strada Bianchi, obviously helped by the chasing group just all staring at each other for a bit, but his tactics in that were phenomenal. Anyway, this is not a cycling podcast. It's probably going to become a cycling podcast in the summer when I find something to talk about that isn't the Bundesliga and not German football, but for the time being, it is a German football podcast, and that is what we're going to go into. So, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember, you can find all other episodes of the Going Deutsch podcast by going to anchor.fm forward slash the sports blitz. You can also play the podcast there. Or you can keep doing what you're doing. You are the Heidenheim of playing podcasts. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about the wide world of sports. Okay, before we go into the games from the Bundesliga, then we're going to start with some news and the biggest story from German football this weekend outside of the actual fixtures. Well, actually, it's from last week. It might have been the day after I uploaded the podcast, but Hoffenheim's benefactor Dietmar Hopp has announced his decision to give up his majority voting rights for Hoffenheim. Obviously, Hoffenheim are one of the few clubs in Germany that don't have to adhere to the 50 plus 1 rule. Hopp has majority voting rights and he is relinquishing those rights. Hoffenheim will be abiding by the 50 plus 1 rule after he does so, returning majority control of Hoffenheim to the 11,000 members of the club. So it's a very interesting story, of course. The discussions about the 50 plus 1 rule are still rumbling on and particularly 
the discussion on whether there should be certain teams who are allowed to be exempt from the 50 plus one rule. You might remember quite a while ago now, the DFL requested that Germany's federal competition regulator review the 50 plus one rule to determine whether it was legal or not. Um, the regulator came back and said it is perfectly fine, it's completely unproblematic legally. However, it said that the exemptions to the 50 plus 1 rule were problematic. The exemptions given to the likes of Bayer Leverkusen and to Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg and clubs like that and said that there had to be immediate action taken over these exemptions. The DFL have been promising action on this. They've been saying that there will be a judgment about the exemptions in 2023. Obviously, we are now in 2023 and it's unknown still what the outcome is going to be regarding those exemptions. But that might be one of the reasons why Dietmar Hopp has decided to return majority voting rights to the members. He said in a statement that this process in particular is why he's wanted to relinquish the special status afforded to him. However, some of the other clubs are holding strong. The Bayer Leverkusen chief executive, Fernando Caro, said, quote, It is an individual decision by Mr. Hopp and TSG Hoffenheim, which won't alter the current ongoing process or its necessity. We are confident the topic will soon be dealt with satisfactorily for all involved. Of course, there are potential other reasons as to why Hop might have wanted to withdraw his majority status. He's 82 years old. Does he really want to be involved with the day-to-day -day running of the club? Also, Hoffenheim haven't really gone anywhere in the last 10 years. They've made the Champions League in the past. They've been in Europe, but they're starting to slide down the table. Obviously, we'll talk about how they did this weekend spoiler bad and we'll also talk about how they've been doing this season spoiler bad but maybe it's that sort of falling down the table that's made him go you know what this isn't worth it anymore there might be a load of other extra factors as well that play into hop's decision to give back the majority voting rights but this is potentially really bad news for hoffenheim of course because they're the village club and without Hop, it's hard to see how a village club could remain in the Bundesliga. Now, despite that, there are people who support Hoffenheim, apparently, who have been critical of Dietmar Hop. Anyway, particularly the Ultras group Young Boys 07, and I'm guessing that the 07 in their name refers to how many of them there are. <laughs> I can't imagine there being too many more fans of Hoffenheim. But recently, they used a pre-match flyer to accuse Dima Hop and the club's management of both nepotism and incompetence. They said in this flyer, quote, like in the Colosseum in ancient Rome, Dietmar Hopp raises or lowers his thumb as if deciding whether a gladiator should live or die. Really interesting that they've decided that one man getting to make all of the decisions is a bad thing. Hmm, I wonder what... I wonder what could allay that. I wonder if there's any rule that has a catchy sort of number-based name that would help in that matter. Anyway, so there are a lot of big questions to answer for Hoffenheim and a lot of worries for their seven supporters. But hopefully when it comes to the 50 plus 1 rule, this is a step in the right direction. 
Though you can't deny Hop's influence and success at Hoffenheim, you can worry about the effect of his ownership and other ownerships on the German game in total, and obviously there's still a lot more to be figured out in that area. By the way, before we move on, it would be wrong of me to not mention that I got a lot of help for this from DW News and from Matt Ford, who is a fantastic writer on German football. He wrote an article called Hoffenheim, Dietmar Hopp and the 50 plus one rule. I would highly recommend reading that piece, which I will hopefully remember to link to in the description of this podcast. Let's move on to Hansa Rostock. In last week's episode, we discussed what happened during their game against St. Pauli, where there was pyrotechnics fired into the St. Pauli fans, and there was destruction of toilets and kiosks, and stones thrown in danger of the people. As well as that, actually, something we didn't mention on last week's episode was that they left a lot of, we'll say, trash behind that had you know posters and stickers and all that that were praising how do i put this the party who were in power of germany between 1933 and 1946 which is enough of a no-no in the rest of the world it is a mega no-no in germany so Obviously, the response that the club have been getting has been, as one would expect, very negative. And they were criticising the instance themselves, Hans of Ostock, as a club. They are now taking actions against their fans, including a choreography ban for the rest of the season. For the next two away games that they're playing, away at Magdeburg and at Paderborn, there will be group quotas for all fan clubs. The fan scene and other organised fan groups will be completely cancelled, this according to a statement on their website. Tickets for those games, therefore, are only being issued to club members in individual sales. They then said that for subsequent away games, individual fan clubs are to receive group quotas on probation, provided that there are no further gross misconduct beforehand. This, again, coming from the club website. They said that from now on, 8 to 10 employees from the club security service will be deployed in away games. The club, along with Rostock Police, are examining the installation of further cameras at their stadium and they will continue to strengthen the area of fan work. Immediately after the game with St. Pauli, they called the footballing authorities in Hamburg to apologise. They apologised to St. Pauli as well. And on their website, in the official statement they released, they said that because of the events at St. Pauli, the club is, quote, at a point where we have to ask ourselves whether we are still on the right track, unquote. Obviously, I am one who believes actions speak louder than words, and Hans of Ostock are actually putting together an action plan for dealing with their fans, at least when it comes to committing acts of violence. Unfortunately, their words also spoke quite loudly when they said, Hansa, as a football club, are politically neutral. And they said, though I don't have the quote in front of me, they said something along the lines of, we're not going to be forced onto the left or the right. 
which is a truly frustrating sentence because no one, literally no one on planet Earth is trying to force Hansa onto the left wing. No one at all. There is, I am willing to bet, no left wing Hansa Vostok fan in the world. And this is essentially their way of denying the fact, and it is a fact, that Hansa Rostock's fan base has an extreme problem with the far right. There are a load of far right fans who have infiltrated the football club for a very long time now, very, very long time, and are using the football and the football club as an excuse to show support for the extreme right, for fascism, for everything that modern-day Germany tries to fight against. That's why we saw those particular stickers and posters at the St. Pauli game, because that is genuinely what they believe in. So, unfortunately, they're still showing a complete reluctance to deal with what is the biggest problem at the club, which is the strong fascist undertones in their fan base. But I guess this is a step in the right direction, so... Well done, maybe? Not really, though. Let's face it, we all know the problem's going to remain. We have no reason to trust this football club to do the correct thing. Let's go on from one team who got into hot water for use of pyrotechnics during a game against St. Pauli to another team who are in hot water because of use of pyrotechnics in a game against St. Pauli. Karlsruhe, the side they're playing this weekend, they have had to pay a fine of €50,000 for the misconduct of their supporters. This was after their game against St. Pauli on the 12th of November. It was the last game before the World Cup break. That 4 all classic that we talked about. And you might actually remember, if you go back to that episode, I talked about how foggy it was. And then went, oh, actually, it turns out it was just flares. Well, actually, it turns out it was more than flares as well. And they got into trouble because several people were injured during the game due to the burning of pyrotechnics resulting in smoke. That's why the game was delayed as well. Final thing to mention before we go into the Bundesliga review, I'm actually recording this part at the end of the podcast, which means I've recorded the Spider Bundesliga segment already. You will be hearing that in a bit. But after the game between Eintracht Braunschweig and Armenia Bielefeld, Amir Arabi has stepped down as the sporting director of Bielefeld after 12 years. It has obviously been a very rough campaign this time around. They were relegated from the Bundesliga last year. They've been struggling in the Spiter so far this season and clearly they've decided that a change needs to be made at the top. This resignation is coming with immediate effect as well. So, yeah, it's felt like a change in the club's higher management has been needed for quite some time now because this season has truly been rotten for all involved at Armenia Bielefeld. Okay, let's go into the Bundesliga then and we're going to start off with the game at the Westfalen Stadion, Borussia Dortmund 2, Leipzig 1. Of course, we'll get on to what this means for Borussia Dortmund in a bit, but as you can tell by what I put in the cold open, I was very, very wrong about Borussia Dortmund a few months ago. The first notable moment of this game, Jude Bellingham played a fantastic pass through to Julian Brandt, and he scored 
to seemingly give Dortmund a 1-0 lead. However, he controlled the ball with his arm. And whilst it wasn't on purpose, it was the correct decision to dislodge goal, unfortunately. However, Dortmund would take the lead just eight minutes after that disallowed goal. This time for real, Marco Royce was wiped out in the box by Leipzig backup keeper Yanis Blaschvic. And he would score the resulting penalty as well. With that goal, Marco Royce has tied the legendary Michel Zork for second place in the club's all-time top goalscorer list. Only behind Alfred Preisler now, almost certainly got our name wrong. But Royce is on 159, Preisler got 177 during his time playing for Borussia Dortmund. So he is now just 18 behind being the all-time top goal scorer for the club. He obviously goes without saying he's a club legend. Emre Chan is not quite a club legend, but he did score a very important goal in this game, hitting it from far out. It was a bouncing ball that went all the way into the net. It's his first goal for Borussia Dortmund since April. He is slightly more goals behind Chrysler than Marco Royce's. But you know, you never know. He he could make it one day. He won't make it one day. Anyway, Borussia Dortmund were 2-0 up at the half-time break. They had been playing really well. It was a pretty perfect performance, all things considered. And maybe it was with the Chelsea game in mind coming up that they decided to switch out the entire Dortmund squad for a much worse version of half-time break. I don't really know why they did that. Maybe it was to rest their actual proper players, but it felt like the team who came out for the second half were imposters of the side who were playing in the first half. Borussia Dortmund very much struggled through that latter half. Leipzig were the best side throughout. Leipzig did score in the 74th minute as well, which they did deserve. However, Borussia Dortmund would hold on to the victory after that and pick up what could be a vital three points in the race for promotion. Since I made the comment about saying that Erdin Terzic should be fired, which you heard of the cold open, Borussia Dortmund have won 10 games in a row. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just so good at jinxing teams. I feel like I've had a greater impact on Borussia Dortmund this year, merely by saying that, than most of their players have had. <laughs> I'm obviously joking, but it's been an incredible turnaround from Borussia Dortmund. It's been an incredible turnaround from Erdin Terzic. They went away, they took the extended break and they used it to their advantage and figured out what was going wrong with the squad clearly they've fixed a lot of problems they are a significantly better side to start 2023 than they were in 2022 so that doesn't mean there are problems obviously they've been having injuries over the last few weeks and there's still injuries affecting the side another one that's now going to be affecting the side Gregor Kerbel who was injured in warm-ups before this game, he was replaced by the back keeper Alexander Meyer, who has played already this season. Kerbal was injured for a number of games in about October time, if I remember correctly. And I think Meyer might have started the uh, Der Klassiker matchup with Bayern Munich, the first one of the season. And he's obviously got experience. He did play well in this game. He made a few really impressive saves. 
But he is also going to probably have to be in for the game against Chelsea in the Champions League, which obviously isn't the best news for Borussia Dortmund. However, what is the best news for Borussia Dortmund is their amazing run means they are still joint top of the Bundesliga. So, I'm sorry, Ertin Terzic. Okay, let's stay in North Rhine-Westphalia for the next game. Bochum nil, Schalke 2, a big relegation six-pointer in the Bundesliga. And one won by Thomas Rice as he returned to his former club in VFL Bochum. The game could have been so different if Philipp Hoffman had scored that open goal chance in the seventh minute. The ball coming across the box, he was one metre away from goal with an empty net and he managed to hit the post. It's not as easy as I made it sound then because he was sliding for the ball, but still... When you're a Bundesliga quality striker, you should be scoring that 10 times out of 10. Hoffman didn't, and he would come to regret it later on. Right on the doorstep of half-time, Schalke would take a one-goal lead. Not through their own work, though. Comical defending, as Manuel Riemann would poke the ball over his own line. He came out to try and deal with a cross. He completely missed it, it hit a defender, started going towards the goal, and then Riemann, in an attempt to grab the ball and pull it back, instead poked it over the line. The worst part is, if he hadn't tried to correct for his original error and he hadn't tried to get the ball, I'm pretty sure the defender who was standing right next to him would have cleared it off the line for him, but because he got his hand in the way of him, he poked the ball over before any clearance could be made. So it was an absolute comedy of errors from Bochum defensively. Really bad way to end the half. To be honest, most of the game was quite uninspiring, I guess would be the right word. Most of the game took place in the middle of the park. There weren't many great chances, but Schalke would score again in the 79th minute. Marius Voltaire with this one, getting a shot through a load of legs in the box after hitting a ground cross from Zalazar first time to score. It's Schalke's first goal from a corner in 100 attempts. They'd gone 99 attempts, trying to score from corner, failing on all 99, and then finally getting a goal from a corner. A really well-worked routine, and the team immediately ran over to celebrate with the set-pieces coach who had designed the play in the week before the match, and they'd been working on it. And it was really well done from both Salazar and Voltaire. As he admitted in the interview after the game, a bit of luck because it did go through quite a few legs but sometimes you need luck when you are in the situation that Schalke are in. So they would hold on to win the game. And it is a big win for Schalke for many different reasons. Before this game, Schalke had gone 38 Bundesliga away matches without being able to get a win. It's the longest winless away run in Bundesliga history. It has now come to a halt, thank God, for Schalke. And they're off bottom of the league for the first time since match day 10. So this is a huge step in the right direction for Schalke. They have nine points through their last five games, which is really good form pretty much for any side, especially a side who are fighting against relegation. So that could be absolutely massive for Schalke going forward, of course. And 
They're finally playing much better football now under Thomas Rice. And let's speak about Thomas Rice because obviously he was going back to his former employer in Bochum. And they don't seem too thrilled with the fact that he decided to go to Schalke. There were a few fans who were heavily lambasting comments he'd made in the past about loyalty to Bochum. I think these fans have probably forgotten that he was sacked by Bochum. But they were unhappy because, obviously, Bochum and Schalke very close to each other, both in North Rhine-Westphalia. And, obviously, the rivalry between the two clubs isn't massive, but it is referred to as a mini-Revere derby for a reason. They, they're not big fans of each other. So, Bochum fans were upset that he went to Schalke. They showed that by throwing bags of rice onto the pitch. There was a moment before Salazar was taking a corner where a bag of rice was thrown in his vicinity. I don't think the fan was trying to hit him, for the record, but we have bad precedence with this in Bochum. You might remember the game was called off last year. I can't remember who they were playing. Was it Gladbach? It might have been Gladbach, but I might be wrong, but a game was called off last year because a fan threw a beer and it hit the linesman and that member game was immediately suspended. So... Yeah, not great precedence, but I don't think there was any malice involved. Either way, Zalazar criticised it, understandably. Rice said, you've just got to work through these things. When you're coming to a former employer, you know there might be a bit of hostility. You know there might be a bit of bad blood. But you've just got to fight through that and try and do the job. And Schalke did do the job on the day. Another interesting comment that came out, and I will be honest, I've read this on a German article translated into English through Google Translate, so it might be slightly wrong, but Salazar was talking about the free kick routine, about why it was so successful, but he also said the reason why he's been playing a lot better recently, he's, he's been sleeping away from his wife, <laughs> by which he meant sleeping in a separate bed. I think he's recently just had a child, so he's become a dad, and I'm guessing the child sleeps in the same room as his wife, probably in a crib at the end of a bed or something, I don't know, I'm not a parent, and clearly sleeping in a separate bed where he can get a bit of peace and quiet is helping him on the football pitch, so if it helps keep Schalke in the Bundesliga, I'm sure Schalke fans will be building a separate house if he needs it to make sure he's getting a good night's rest. Anyway, go and love help if you want to. Again, it might be a massive mistranslation, <laughs> but yeah. Sleeping in a separate bed, apparently doing all the work for Schalke as they start to move in the correct direction in the league table. Wolfsburg 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 2, talking about managers returning to their former clubs, we had two in this game, of course, Niko Kovac, the Wolfsburg manager, used to manage Eintracht Frankfurt, he took them to a very famous DFB Pokal win over Bayern Munich a few years ago, meanwhile, Oliver Glasner, of course, left Wolfsburg for Eintracht Frankfurt, so a big game for both of them, and a really entertaining game as well, at the Volkswagen Arena. A game, though, that took slightly longer than expected to get going. There was a delay at the start because one of the nets wasn't placed into its spot properly, so it was slightly higher out of the ground than it should have been. And this led to the hilarious image of Kevin Trapp hanging on the top of the bars, trying to force them down. He looked like he was 
auditioning to be Germany's next Olympic gymnast or something, but he was just trying to get the goals to go into their proper place. And after some forcing, he, he eventually got them into the position they should have been in for the game. Cohen Castiles would also do the same thing at the start of the second half of the same goals. So absolutely fantastic to see, you know, when you go and watch a Bundesliga game, you're expecting some top quality football, but you also get some top quality gymnastics as well. So absolutely fantastic. Two sports for the price of one for those watching both in the stadium and on the TV. The first goal of the game came in the 10th minute. Omar Mamouche, a fantastic breakaway from him, timing his run so that he was very just onside it was one of the most marginal onsides of the year but he did stay onside he would round Kevin Trapp in the Eintracht Frankfurt goals and then slot into an empty net however after that goal Eintracht Frankfurt would build into the game they were level in the 22nd minute and of course it was their star man this year Vando Colomani heading in a fantastic cross from Aurelio Buta and Frankfurt started to really power the pressure on after that equaliser as well. They were the dominant side after that. And just four minutes later, they would take the lead. It was a fantastic hit into the top corner of the net from outside the box. Any striker would be proud of that goal. But it came from Evan Indica, the centre-back. It was fantastic. By Wikipedia's reckoning, Evan Indica has scored 10 goals now for Eintracht Frankfurt. That information might be outdated, though. But I'm willing to bet that that was the best goal that he scored for the side, though. To be honest, I might be forgetting, like, a really blatant one. And if I am, feel free to shout at me. That looked like it was going to be the score heading into the halftime break. But with two minutes before the half, Yannick Gerhardt would get Wolfsburg level. And to be honest, they did deserve two level of scores as well it was a header a good cross by Patrick Vimmer to set that up so two all of a halftime break really really good first half really entertaining and we expected more of that in the second half but we wouldn't really get it the game would peter out after that Wolfsburg definitely had more of the sort of attacking chances but Eintracht Frankfurt were really clinical in that four minutes span in the game where they were completely dominant where they got both their goals meant they probably did deserve a point in the end. Augsburg 2, Werder Bremen 1. This game annoyed me. This game annoyed me. And obviously, the game between the two sides of the Hinrunde was annoying. And I say that because I listened back to the episode just to see what I thought about the reverse fixtures. And that, that game was annoying. This game wasn't as annoying but it was still annoying for multiple reasons. Dion Valgio, the new player for Augsburg, who they got in the winter transfer window, one of like the 12 they got in the winter transfer window, scoring in the sixth minute to give Augsburg the lead. Arnie Meyer would score one minute into the second half for Augsburg second. In between those two goals, Jan Stey would score for Werder Bremen. But to be honest, it is shocking that Werder didn't score more goals in this game. They should have had a lot more. Now, granted... They probably weren't clinical enough to score more. It's surprising when you have Niklas Fulkrug up front, but you can't convert your chances. But Werder Bremen didn't convert their chances in this game. They weren't good enough going forward, despite having so many chances 
to score and playing against an Augsburg defence who will say haven't been amazing so far this season. There are also some small gripes to have about the refereeing performance. I would say out of all of the refereeing performances in the Bundesliga, this one was the worst. But to be honest, we all have bad days in our job. Refereeing this game just had a bad day in his job, don't we all? I mean, if he had a load of bad days in his job and also he was controversial for whatever reason, then that would be different. Hang on, let me just double check who the referee is. I'm sure, I'm sure he's no one like that. Oh, it's Felix Swire. Oh, that guy. You might remember how he refereed Der Classica last year between Bayern and Dortmund, the first game. And you might also remember he's connected to a certain scandal in German refereeing history. I don't know how he's still a Bundesliga referee. I wanted to say this here because... He was terrible in this game. He had a really bad game as a referee. And to be honest, he's made a career out of being a really bad referee. It stuns me that he's still getting Bundesliga games to referee, considering how bad of a job he does. I, he must know where the bodies are buried, or he must have pictures, because <laughs> nothing else explains why he keeps being allowed to referee in the Bundesliga. Anyway... Moving on, before I continue to ramble on about how much this game annoyed me, let's talk about Bayer Leverkusen 4, Hertha Berlin 1. Xabi Alonso's men getting a very dominant victory over Sandro Schwartz and the relegation contenders in Hertha Berlin. Serdar Asmoon would open the scoring for Bayer Leverkusen in the 12th minute, his shot going just over the line. You might remember in the last episode we mentioned that Sada Asmoon hadn't scored since April. Well, this is his second goal in two games, so clearly Sada Asmoon's goals are kind of like London buses. 2-0 in the 21st minute, they used their speed by Leverkusen, using the right-hand side of the pitch, like they had done for the first goal as well. Musa Diaby playing a ball across the box to Jeremy Fringpong to score. In the 60th minute, they made it 3-0, a fantastic pass from Florian Wirtz to set up Musa Diaby, allowing him to score. Diaby definitely the man of the match for by Leverkusen in this game. Dodi Lukabakio would score from the penalty spot after that to give Hertha Berlin some small signs of life, but to be honest, with how they'd been playing through the entire game, it was clear that they weren't going to come back. And if you didn't believe that at 3-1, you probably believed it at 4-1 in the 73rd minute, Amin Adley scoring from outside the box. This was no contest by Leverkusen, easily the side. Hertha Berlin still struggling in the battle against the drop. Talk about another side who are struggling in the battle against the drop. Hoffenheim, they lost 1-0 away at Mainz. Leandro Barrera with the only goal of the game, volleying past Oliver Bauman on his 100th Bundesliga appearance. Sorry, Barrero's 100th Bundesliga appearance. Really good goal for him. Mainz continue in their charge for a European spot. They have been one of the biggest overachievers in the Bundesliga this year. I think if you exclude Union Berlin and Freiburg, they are the biggest overachievers in the league this season. Then again, Werder Bremen as well. Basically, there are a lot of really impressive overachievers in the Bundesliga this year. One of the teams who are definitely not overachieving, though, are Hoffenheim. They were bad in this game, and they have now gone 13 games without a win in the league 
the replacing of the manager from Andre Breitenreiter to Pellegrino Matarazzo has so far done nothing to help their chances of staying up. And with how negative the mood must be around the club at the moment, it's going to be really hard for them to turn it around despite the talent that they have got there. Stuttgart won Bayern Munich 2, talking about replacing a manager and not having the effect you wanted. Stuttgart are in that position as well. Matthias De Ligt and Eric Maxim Chupamoting would score for Bayern Munich. The goal for Stuttgart coming in the 88th minute through Juan Pereira. Though, let's face it, they were never going to beat Bayern Munich. And they didn't look like beating Bayern Munich through any part of this game. Or even getting a point from Bayern Munich. It is worth mentioning before we talk about Stuttgart in depth that Eric Maxim Chupamoting has signed a contract extension with Bayern Munich. He's getting a big pay rise. They've obviously noticed in these last two years that he can be a very crucial part of their side and he has been a very crucial part of their side and they're rewarding him as such. So really good for him. The details of that contract apparently it will be going through to the end of the 2023-24 season and whilst there have been no specifics given about the pay rise, it is said to be significant. So, for footballer, that probably means quite a lot of money. Anyway, let's talk about Stuttgart then. Because, obviously, when you hire Bruno Labbadia, you are doing so with the understanding that he is a, what we call a firefighter, right? He comes into bad situations and he rescues the side his most recent example of that was with Hertha Berlin and he's sort of in the same vein as those sort of managers in the Premier League who who come in like that like Sam Allardyce was always called a firefighter and managers like I guess Steve Bruce, Alan Kirbishley, someone like that but he is meant to be a firefighter. He is meant to come into a struggling club and help them with all their problems and at least keep them up. But, you know, he's not going to be able to then take the club forward and have a massive project and take them very far up the table. He just comes in and temporarily solves the problem and then leaves again. Well, Bruno Labbadia has not been doing a lot of firefighting since he became the manager of Stuttgart, to be honest. Since he took over start of 2023, they have not looked better at all. In fact, you could argue that they're worse now than they were under Pellegrino Matarazzo. In the eight games that he has managed for Stuttgart, they have picked up just five points. Obviously, far less than a point a game, just over half a point a game. So, a really bad return. And it's frustrating because... The football that he plays is clearly not suited to the Stuttgart players, but he doesn't know how to play in any different way. He tried to make changes in the transfer window that would help the squad better suit his needs. Obviously, the main player they were pursuing was Joshua Gilavogi from Wolfsburg, a player who Labadier has worked with before, and that didn't work. But the reason why this is so frustrating, more than anything else, is that they did have a manager. They had one who could have kept the side up and obviously still of the season to go he could turn this around but they did have a manager who was looking really promising when they hired Michael Wimmer 
to be the interim manager. We're talking about how well they were playing on this podcast under him and saying, well, maybe he could get the permanent job. And apparently there were a lot of people at the club who were strongly in support of keeping Michael Vimmer, but others who really wanted to get in an experienced name who would keep them up. And that's why they decided to go with Labadia in the end. And that move is looking like a terrible decision at the moment there's been a lot of infighting at Stuttgart about this decision and people coming out in the press recently saying that look we didn't want him it was them who wanted him we knew that we should have kept Michael Vimmer and at the moment it's hard to disagree with those people they seem to be correct I don't know if Bruno Labbadee is going to be able to turn this around. I think Michael Vimmer just had a better understanding of the squad, a better understanding of what he had, a better understanding of how to play with this Stuttgart side. And Labbadee so far just does not have the answers. Anyway, just two more games to go into, both of them nil-nils. We're going to start off with Borussia Mönchengladbach nil, Freiburg nil, because this had slightly more intrigue than the final game. But two really notable moments to talk about. First of all, Borussia Mönchengladbach were given a penalty late in the second half. However, the AR asked the referee to go and look at the monitor. He did, and he saw that quite clearly Marcus Turam wasn't touched by anyone and decided to overturn the penalty. That was the correct decision, of course. However, what annoys me more than anything else is the fact that the matter was ended there and that the referee did not give Marcus Turam a yellow card. And this has drawn a lot of criticism from a lot of pundits in Germany, and rightfully so. We all agree that diving is a problem and that we don't like diving and that we want the problem of diving solved. However, the Bundesliga, like pretty much every other league in the world, just doesn't seemingly have the guts to actually do something about it, to try and stamp diving out of the sport. It would just be completely eradicated if we started handing out yellow cards every time a player dived, started banning players if they were trying to dive. To be honest, I I love Marcus Turan, right? I think he's a fantastic footballer, but for me, that should be at least a one-match ban just for doing it. If we start doing that, then players will stop diving. But the Bundesliga, the DFB, the DFL, and so many other leagues and FAs around the world are just not interested in trying to solve this problem because they think they'll upset the players or they think the referees won't want to be the bad guy in that situation. I don't know what it is, but it's not acceptable. Also, what was not acceptable was Rami Bentabaini's behaviour towards the end of the game. This did result in a red card, though. He kicked the ball away when a free kick was given to Freiburg. The referee showed him a yellow card for that. And then he did the sarcastic clapping, oh, well done, mate. And so the referee saw it and immediately gave him a red card. That was, of course, the correct decision. It stuns me. The number of times we've had this conversation on this podcast this year, there have been so many instances in the Bundesliga so far this season of players getting a yellow card and, you know, sort of having a go at the referee for it and then getting a red card immediately. And it's always been the correct decision on the officials' behalf. But it stuns me that players are still doing it. In fact, on this podcast last week, I made a reference to that fact and said, I don't know why I have to keep bringing this up. 
and funnily enough this isn't the last time we're going to be referencing this in this episode because there's a moment in the Spider Bundesliga which is pretty much exactly the same and I just, I don't get it. I don't get why we have to keep bringing this up, why we have to keep talking about it. Just, it's so stupid. Stop doing it. Anyway, that was two flashpoints in a game that was particularly boring. So, let's just move on to another boring game. Union Berlin, nil, cool, nil. A few weeks ago, following our win against Leipzig, I said Union Berlin were genuine title contenders. Since then, two points in three games. They're now five points behind Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. So, well done me once again for jinxing it. This was a very boring game. It is one of the only games this year I can think of in which I wrote no notes at all. The game just completely did not exist as far as I'm aware. Jordan got yellow carded in the 92nd minute. There we go. That's something to mention. But this game was really low on quality. Anyway, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then. After 23 match days, Bayern Munich lead the way on 49 points. Borussia Dortmund also on 49 points in second place. It's a five-point drop then to Union Berlin in third on 44. Leipzig on 42 are in fourth. Freiburg also on 42 in 5th place. Meanwhile, I track Frankfurt round out the European places so far on 39 points. The race for that final European spot, still good. Mines on 35 points, now in 7th place. They overtake Wolfsburg, who are on 34 points after their draw against Eintracht Frankfurt. By Leverkusen are on 31 points. Borussia Mönchengladbach and Werder Bremen both on 30 points. At the wrong end of the table, Bochum are back to bottom of the league on 19 points. Meanwhile, 17th, Schalke, 19 points. 16th, Hoffenheim, 19 points. 15th, Stuttgart, 19 points. 14th, Hertha Berlin, 20 points. So a really fantastic relegation picture at the bottom of the Bundesliga table. It's going to be really exciting to see how that plays out. For everyone who isn't a fan of one of those five sides, for who I assume will be a really, really stressful time. Just to round up the table, Köln and Augsburg in 12th and 13th are both on 27 points. Okay, let's go down into the Spider Bundesliga then, where we'll be starting off strongly before imploding horribly. And I know there is one game that is really, truly big from the Spider Bundesliga this weekend, but I feel absolutely compelled to start this segment with Eintracht Braunschweig 3, Armenia Bielefeld 3. Of course, there is one game that really took the interest of everyone in Germany, that really grabbed the attention but this game was also massively important it is a relegation six pointer as we will discuss when we come on to the table later on and this game was really weird it was a real up and down affair Armenia Bielefeld were 3-0 up after 21 minutes they look like they could potentially storm away to a very comfortable victory. And that was despite the fact that Armenia Bielefeld didn't really start the game too well. They were 3-0 up, but they didn't 
feel like they were three goals better than Eintracht Braunschweig. The opening two goals of the game were really unfortunate from a Braunschweig perspective. The first one coming in the sixth minute, Jermaine Konjbrook with a long shot from outside the box. It hit the post and it was going to be comfortably cleared by the Braunschweig defenders. However, the rebound from the post hit the legs of Yasmin Fejic and it went straight back into the net. So that was obviously an awful way to start the game and it got worse in the 11th minute. Again, really unfortunate. A long shot was saved by Fejic and by the way, apologies to everyone from Bosnia and Herzegovina because I can't pronounce names from the country apparently. But his save deflected straight into the path of Brian Lasme. He couldn't have picked a worse spot if he had tried and Lasme had an open goal to tap into. So both of the opening goals were really unfortunate. And by the time Guilherme Ramos would head home in the 21st minute to make it 3-0, it looked like game over. Despite the fact Braunschweig had played okay, I guess, through the opening 21 minutes. They weren't significantly worse than Armenia Bielefeld through that part of the game, but at 3-0 down, it looked like game over. And I remember what I said to someone about the game at this point, because it has been looping in my head ever since. I said, quote, Braunschweig don't deserve to be 3-0 down, but it's already over. They're not going to score three from here, unquote. My powers of jinxing live on! Jinxing is clearly my biggest and best talent at this point. It is the one thing this podcast is truly great at. Because after the third goal went in, Eintracht Braunschweig were easily the best side through the rest of the game. And that wasn't a significant surprise. Like I said, it's not like they turned from being absolutely abysmal in the opening 20 minutes to world-beating through the final 70. They were not great to start the game, but then very, very, very good through the rest of the game. Particularly, that was Emmanuel Ferrai, who was playing so well. Just one minute after Ramos had made it 3-0, he would make it 3-1. And at this point, I realised that my jinx was going to come into full effect. A shot while sliding that perfectly found the bottom corner. A really good finish from Ferrai, probably... Well, actually, no, the second best of the game. I was going to say the best of the game, but then I remembered their third goal, which we'll be talking about later on. Favai would make it 3-2 in the 34th minute. A hit at the near post. To be honest, Martin Freisel really should have been doing more about that. I think out of all six goals in the game, this is the one where I most question the goalkeeping. Because... The two from Yasmin Fejic that gave Bielefeld a 2-0 lead were just unfortunate. This one was bad. He should have really been saving that. So, 3-2 at the half-time break. Obviously, Bielefeld had to do something to arrest their bad play, but they were not able to. In the 72nd minute, Anthony Uja would make them pay fantastic control before hitting into the bottom corner on the half volley. It was a fantastic finish from the striker. That made it 3-all, and to be honest, at that point, I was just mega convinced 
that Braunschweig were going to get a fourth. I didn't say that to anyone because I was worried about jinxing it again. <laughs> but unfortunately, despite that, Braunschweig didn't get a fourth. Real would be the full-time score. Still a really good sort of comeback for Eintracht Braunschweig. Getting a point against Armenia Bielefeld doesn't necessarily help them in their battle against the drop. They're only one point clear of Armenia Bielefeld in 16th place, so a win would have been better. But when it comes to this game, it feels like the morale of Armenia Bielefeld is going to be significantly worse than the morale of Eintracht Braunschweig because coming back from 3-0 down to Rescue Point, they're going to be feeling on top of the world. They're going to be feeling fantastic. They're going to be feeling like they could take on anyone. It's going to be absolutely fantastic for them. It's going to be a great morale boost. It's going to give them a lot of momentum heading into their next few games. However, for Armenia Bielefeld, they will feel like their whole world has just collapsed. They were freeing up. They were laughing. They were going, here we go. A monumental, fantastic victory. Crushing a relegation candidate to show just how much better we are. We know we shouldn't be in this position. And we're going to finally start to climb out. And then that happens. And through most of the game, they're just nowhere near as good as Eintracht Braunschweig. They are going to be feeling absolutely terrible at the moment. And all of the questions that people have had about Arminia Bielefeld, about their transfer policy, about the hiring of Daniel Scherning as manager, they could have gone with a big win in this game. However, by blowing it, those questions, those doubts, those fears, those worries are going to be amplified significantly. So a very bad draw for Arminia Bielefeld and a very good draw for Eintracht Braunschweig. Of course, that wasn't the game that everyone was talking about in the Spider Bundesliga coming into the weekend. The game that everyone was looking forward to was the Sport Eins Saturday night game between Heidenheim and Darmstadt, and it did deliver a big result. Heidenheim won, Darmstadt nil. Darmstadt's 21 game undefeated run in the league has come to an end with a poor performance against a fellow promotion contender. Heidenheim were the better side throughout the entire game. Darmstadt were just about doing enough defensively to hold on and look like they were going to somehow get a 0-0 draw out of this, which they wouldn't have particularly deserved, which was much to the annoyance of Frank Smith, who was not having a lovely time on the sideline. However, Darmstadt's luck would run out in the 89th minute when Stefan Schimmer would play a great ball through to Jan Nicholas Bester to score. Absolutely unbelievable scenes in Heidenheim. Everyone going mental, of course. A roof being lifted off the Voif Arena. Heidenheim would go down to 10 men in the 91st minute when Zenis Burnich would get sent off for a second yellow, but Heidenheim would hold on for the victory. This could be absolutely monumental in the race for promotion, of course. We'll be talking about the promotion picture at the end of the Spider Bundesliga review, but this weekend has done a lot to shape the promotion race and who we expect to be in it. The top three are now practically impossible to separate. If Darmstadt had held on for a draw in this game, I think we would have been sat here now going, well, 
it's not a good performance, but this ability to constantly grind out results, no matter how poorly they're playing, no matter the injury problems they're facing, no matter how much is going wrong, shows that they are going to be promoted. Now, not so much. Now we don't know what's going to happen. Who knows how their morale changes as a result of this, though, to be honest. If you're getting upset because you have lost one of 22 games, then stop and get over it i'm sure they're not going to be live at darmstadt but this could be monumental for heidenheim getting a win like this to close the gap between them and darmstadt could be monumental for frank smith's side in the race for promotion of course heidenheim closed the gap to darmstadt so did hamburger who won 3-0 at home to nuremberg dieter hecking the nuremberg manager returned to hamburg where he had a managerial stint a few years ago i can't remember how long it lasted for but his return to the volkspark stadion was not a positive one hamburger opened the scoring in the 19th minute with what was probably the goal of the weekend in the spider john luke domper with a fantastic free kick from far out into the top corner he could not have hit it any better he could have celebrated better because he held up mario vuskovic's shirt and you might remember that Vuskovic was suspended after a positive test for EPO. That case is still ongoing. There's going to be a hearing from the DFB Sport Court next Friday. So if he's banned for a long time for this, that celebration is going to age absolutely horrifically. I get they support a teammate, but if a teammate is found to be a known cheat, then... That's not going to be too great for HSV. Moving on from that, Hamburg would score two in the second half. Ludovic Rice getting the first of them. Good passing play in the box to set up his volley. And then Ransford, you Koeningsdorfer, would add the final goal in the 95th minute. A good bit of skill before slotting into the bottom corner. HSV did have the ball in the net another time between those two goals, Robert Galatzel scoring, but the goal was disallowed, and to be honest, I think it's a terrible decision. Even as a St. Pauli fan, I can't understand why that was disallowed. There was a 50-50 sort of coming together between him and a defender, but to be honest, neither one of them fouled the other one. It was just some contact, and I feel like I say this quite a lot on this podcast, but football is not a non-contact sport. You can expect contact, to be honest, it could have easily been a foul against Nuremberg as much as it could have been a foul against HSV. So I completely disagreed with the decision. I thought it was ridiculous, considering that, you know, we are allowed contact in football. I did not understand the decision at all. However, I'm sure Hamburg fans won't care too much because they did win this game 3-0. They were easily the better side. And Nuremberg just looked bad. It's been two games that Dieter Hecking has had in charge again. Well, that's reserved judgment. But the game against Sandhausen, despite winning, was uninspiring. And this game was just terrible. So it's not been a great start for the former Hamburger manager. So with Heidenheim and Hamburger winning... Those top three, them alongside Darmstadt, are very close together and they are now starting to see a bit of distance between themselves and the rest of the chasing pack. The main reason for that being that Paderborn lost 2-1 at home to St. Pauli. St. Pauli were easily the best side of the first half. The commentator on the English broadcast 
for St. Pauli, the in-house broadcast, said it was a perfect first half and I am inclined to agree with him. Particularly, it was a perfect first half for Lucas Dashner, who would score twice. Both of them really good finishes. One really neat from outside the box and then another across his body into the other bottom corner. He had a fantastic game. Those two finishes were really good. Watch the highlights if you want to. You should be watching all the St. Pauli highlights because they're the best club in the world. And, of course, you get to see Jackson Irving every week. And who doesn't want more Jackson Irving in their lives? The second half for St. Pauli could not be described as perfect by any measure. A third St. Pauli player would score, Cavill Metz, but he would put it into his own net. So that, that wasn't good. St. Pauli would hold on, though, for the win. They were still the better side overall. Paderborn didn't really threaten too much. The only notable moment of the second half after the own goal really being Sir Lord Conter getting sent off from the bench for getting two yellow cards in the space of about five seconds because there was a foul on the pitch. A free kick was given to St. Pauli. It was the correct decision from the referee. The Paderborn players and coaches didn't think so, though. They were really kicking off, including Sir Lord Conter. The referee went over to the bench, he carded him, and he did that sarcastic sort of thumbs up and sarcastic clapping as well. And the referee saw of it because he was still looking at him and gave him his second yellow card. So, well done, Sir Lord Conter, for being ultra smart. He, alongside the rest of the Paderborn squad, were ineffective. This was not a good game from a Paderborn perspective. They were really uninspiring and because of this they're now seven points behind Heidenheim in third place with 11 games to go so they're definitely still in the promotion picture but they are going to have to go on a really good run to get back to being a serious contender for promotion if they had won this game they would have still only been four points behind they'd have been right in the race now their chances of being promoted are probably what well, five percent at best well now that i've said that probably a hundred percent but five percent realistically so not a great game for paderborn however for st pauli six wins in a row if you had said that in december i would have assumed you were crazy so for st pauli to win six on the bounce it's absolutely sensational credit to fabian hersler the squad have just been so much better since he's taken over as head coach and it's worth remembering that in the hinrunder the opening 17 games of the season st pauli won three times they have now won all six of their last six games. They have been the best side in the Spider Bundesliga in 2023. And long may it continue because it would be wonderful to see St. Pauli continue this run of form. Obviously, they started a bit too late to really get seriously involved in the promotion chase. But I am not going to complain as a St. Pauli fan. I would love to see more of this football, please and thank you. And I feel like I probably should say this at this point. I'm sorry, Fabian, I shouldn't have doubted you. Another side who lost out in the race for promotion, Kaiserslautern, who lost 2-0 at Magdeburg. They actually had the ball in the net first, but Tevance Boyd was flagged offside. He tried to run backwards to make sure he was in line with the defenders, but he was just a bit too late. So Magdeburg's first goal came in the 41st minute, Moritz Brony Quarteng, with a neat first-time finish into the bottom corner. 
It was a really feisty game after that. Both sides pushing, shoving, shouting. There was one moment, and it was entirely accidental, but Tatsuya Ito had a little cut above his eye. He was hit by one of the defenders again on accident, and it cut him. Anyway, he got his revenge for them, the 65th minute, scoring from a narrow angle. Really good play from Baris Attic to hold off a defender and then play Ito through. Really good from him. And it was a game where Magdeburg did deserve the victory. They played very well. Kaiserslautern really didn't show up through the entire game. To be honest, I can only remember, apart from the disallowed goal, I can only remember one thing off the top of my head, which was they hit the post one time. So, you know, that that's great for them. So it's a massive loss for Kai Slauten in the promotion race. Before this game, they were just five points behind Heidenheim. They're now eight points behind Heidenheim with 11 games to go. Again, they also now need a really good run to get back into being a serious promotion contender. Sandhausen won, Holstein Kiel won, Sandhausen no longer bottom of the Spider Bundesliga table after this game. They weren't the better side though, Harker Val would give Kiel the lead in the 47th minute and it looked like for a long time that they were going to get a deserved win. Kiel the better side throughout this entire game. They could have made it too when they got a penalty but Fabian Riesa would have his penalty saved. It was a really uninspiring attempt straight at the goalkeeper, very weak as well. And that would have put the game beyond all doubt because there was no chance that Sandhausen were going to get two. Kiel really should have scored more than one, but in the 97th minute when the second goal came, it would be for Sandhausen. Frank Avina's shot was deflected in. So, really lucky for Sandhausen because I think 99 times out of 100 they don't win this game, but... When you're down there, when you're struggling in a relegation battle, you need that luck sometimes, and that is most certainly what Sandhausen got. Jan Regensburg nil, Fortuna Dusseldorf won. Jan Regensburg replacing Sandhausen at the bottom of the Sveiter Bundesliga table. Very uninspiring performance from them, but it was an uninspiring game in general. I think there were four good shots all game long. But the only goal of the game would come in the 86th minute through a David Koronaki penalty for Dusseldorf. It was a little bit light for me, to be honest. The penalty was given for a foul on Felix Klaus. But to be honest, I think it falls into that category of he was looking for it, you know. So I, I can see why the penalty was given, but it's a real 50-50 sort of call. Anyway, Fortuna Dusseldorf move up into 5th as a result of that game. Jan Regensburg, as mentioned, drop to 18th place. Greuther Firth won, Hanover won. Stefan Leitl returning to Greuther Firth. Side of course, got promoted to the Bundesliga back in the 2020-21 season. And this game annoyed me for parts of it. The main thing that annoyed me was the penalty decision in the first half. Reuter Firth were originally given a penalty. VAR told the referee to go and have a look at it. He did, and he overturned his original decision. And to be honest, I have absolutely no idea why. It was an absolute stonewall penalty. Essentially, what happens, the ball's played over the top of the defence. Ragnar Ashe is running through to collect it. 
And Luka Kranjic, the Hanover defender, just shoulder barged him to make sure he couldn't get to the ball. In rugby league, that'll be called a shoulder barge. In American football, it'll be called pass interference. And in pretty much every sport, it is a foul. Apparently not in football, though, which is quite weird. I mean, if it happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's objectively a free kick. Just objectively. So I don't know why it wasn't given as a penalty. Not only... Was it a penalty? And it, well, it should have been a penalty. It was also potentially a red card because Kranich deliberately showed barges at Che in the head. And to be honest, I think it was entirely deliberate. I don't know how anyone could come to any other conclusion looking at the footage. So I was absolutely floored. That was injury. Hanover would add insult to it in the 54th minute when they took the lead. Hendrik Vedant. Getting the goal, a really good goal as well. Smashed from the half volley into the top of the net. One of the better finishes of the weekend from him. But just three minutes after that, Greuter Firth would get a second penalty. This one would stand and Bronimir Rogota would score it. Ironically, considering what we've just said, I think the penalty was a bit light. I'll be honest, I, I think it was a bit light. I can see why it was given, but I don't think I would have given it myself. It was a bit of a coming together in the box, but it's just seemed too light to really give a penalty but I guess it made up for the other penalty even though two wrongs don't make a right apart from that going to first were these the better side the best moment of the game after the equaliser Wagner Ache attempting a bicycle kick and just getting nothing but air it was absolutely hilarious but they did have many good chances going to Firth to win the game after the equaliser they were unable to score though and that's why they only ended up with one point so yeah very disappointed for going to Firth because they had a big chance to win this game however they just could not capitalize on the chances that they were given Final game, Hansa Rostock nil, Karlsruhe 2. The worst free kick attempt of the season was seen in this game. Simon Rhein trying to take a free kick, trying to cross it into the box, but he fell over before he even reached the ball and it just meant that he kicked it weakly down the sideline. Wasn't particularly great. Neither was any of this game for Hansa Rostock. Easily the second best side. Marvin Wanitzek would score a penalty in the 16th minute to give Karlsruhe a 1-0 lead. Bit of a 50-50 coming together. There was Darian Rossback and Mikhail Kaufman going for the ball. And Rossback fell over. He brought Kaufman down with him and the referee decided that was enough for a penalty. Paul Nabel would get the second of the game for Karlsruhe in the 25th minute. There was a third goal for the away side as well, but it was disallowed for a very marginal offside. It was the correct call, though. Karlsruhe, the better side in this game, and as a result, they move up into the top half of the Spider Bundesliga table. Speaking of the Spider Bundesliga table, let's have a look at it after 23 games. Darmstadt still lead the way despite their loss against Heidenheim, 49 points. Hamburger are second on 48 points and Heidenheim third on 46 points. So all three of them still battling for the title and for the automatic promotion places. It's then a seven-point drop down to Paderborn on 39 points. Fortuna Dusseldorf have 38 points, as do Kaiserslautern. St. Pauli, meanwhile, have 35 points in seventh place. At the wrong end of the table, Jan Regensburg slip back to bottom of the league, 20 points from 23 games. The same number that Sandhausen have. Armini Bielefeld are one point clear of them in 16th. 
and they are one point behind Eintracht Braunschweig on 22 in 15th. Hansa Rostock have 24 points, meanwhile Nuremberg are 13th on 25. Okay, time for our usual quickfire tour of the Dritte Liga. Alversberg actually lost a game of football for the first time in what feels like forever, but it's actually just six games. A 2-1 defeat away at Mannheim. Obviously, they still have a comfortable buffer, but obviously, they're not going to be using that to relax. They're going to want to bounce back with a win next time out. The gap has closed to the other sides as well. Freiburg's Fry winning their fifth game in a row and now being undefeated in eight after a win against Dortmund's Sfai. Obviously, they're not relevant for the promotion picture, but they hen are. They finally won again. They had lost two on the bounce, but they had a 4-1 win against a real out-of-forming or start to a falling away from the promotion picture rapidly. Osnabrück, meanwhile, won their ninth game in 10-2-1 away at Saarbrücken. Mannheim, as mentioned, getting a 2-1 win away at Alversburg. Dynamo Dresden also winning this time around 1-0 away at Au. It means that Dinamo Dresden are now undefeated in nine. So there's a really intriguing promotion picture being assembled in the Drittliga. Alversberg still top the league on 57 points. Vehan, meanwhile, in the automatic promotion place on 47 points. Osnabrück in the playoff promotion place on 43 points. So Alversberg still 14 points clear. Mannheim on 42, Dresden on 41, so a real strong promotion field at the moment. Saarbrücken are looking like they might not be part of that race for much longer. They lost their third game in a row, as mentioned, 2-1 to Osnabrück. They're on 39 points, so they're absolutely still in the race of promotion, but they need to turn form around and quickly. Meanwhile, at the wrong end of the table, Meppen remain rooted to the bottom of the league. They lost 3-2 against fellow relegation contenders Hallershire. Oldenburg have lost their fourth game on the bounce with a 3-2 loss against Duisburg. Svakau are moving in the correct direction. They're off bottom of the league, having won 2-1 at home to Völ. Dortmund Schwey, as mentioned, lost to Freiburg Schwey. Those are the four teams with relegation places at the moment. Hallershire moved out because of their win against Meppen. It's now seven points in their last three games. Bayreuth, meanwhile, only one point clear of the drop, having lost 2-0 against Essen. Okay, time to wrap up with top speed, the Wochenende, the best games from Germany this weekend, all times in Central European time as per usual. So starting off in the Bundesliga, and of course there is only one place we can start, the Vivir Derby Schalke against Borussia Dortmund. It is on Saturday, a 6.30 kickoff. And this game is intriguing for two reasons. Obviously, one, because it's the Riviera Derby. This is one of the best games in Germany, if not the best game in Germany, or at least the best rivalry in Germany is what I should say. But the other reason is actually both sides come into this game in good form, at least at points of recording. Borussia Dortmund have won 10 on the bounce in all competitions. If you're listening to this late, that might have changed, but they have won eight games in a row in the Bundesliga, nine games in a row in all competitions in Germany, and ten games in a row at the moment in all competitions. Again, I'm a bit of a pessimist in life, so that could have changed by Tuesday evening. But 
they've obviously been sensational since we've restarted the season. They have been the best football club in Germany. Meanwhile, for Schalke, obviously they're not on that level of form, but they are in their best form of the season. They have picked up nine points in their last five games. They have won their last two. Obviously, those wins came against Stuttgart and against Bochum, so not quite the quality of Borussia Dortmund, but they are playing a lot better, and of course, when it's Derby Day, when it's your biggest rival, you are going to play a lot better than you normally do, and this game was close in the Hinrunder, it was a 1-0 win for Borussia Dortmund, so there is... No such thing as a guaranteed win in football, of course, but there is definitely no such thing as a guaranteed win when it comes to playing your biggest rival. So that game is going to be phenomenal. I think we all know that anyway. In the Spider Bundesliga, I'm going to go with a relegation six-pointer, Nuremberg against Eintracht Braunschweig. It is a Friday 6.30 kickoff. And neither of these sides enter the game of relegation places, but both sides enter really close. Nuremberg, 13th in the league on 25 points. They are four points clear of Armenia Bielefeld in 16th. Braunschweig, meanwhile, entering the game 15th on 22 points, so only one point clear of Armenia Bielefeld. Whichever side wins this one will have a big momentum boost for the rest of the campaign. So it could be an invaluable three points for both sides. In the Dritte Liga, this was the hardest one. And I don't just say that because obviously I pay less attention to the Dritte Liga than the Bundesliga and the Svita Bundesliga. But also because everyone's either in a game against somebody at the exact other end of the table or they're playing a side they should be beating. There are no true standout great games. But I'm going to go with Vehen against Saarbrücken. Obviously two sides who are still... In the promotion hunt, but their form is very different entering. Uh, well, one side have really bad form, the other side have mediocre form. Vehen, currently third place, which is a promotion spot. They're on 47 points. They have seven points from their last five games. They won 4-1 against Ingolstadt last time. Saarbrücken are in a bit of a free fall of the moment, just three points in their last five games. They're on 39 points in 7th place, only 4 points behind Osnabrück, but as mentioned, they need to turn form around and fast, and while well, this is the ultimate test for them when it comes to turning form around, because they are at the moment holding on to one of those promotion spots. They have a bit of breathing room to Osnabrück, 4 points at the moment, but they cannot afford many more slip-ups, especially with how good Osnabrück have been playing. Anyway, that's all the time we have on Going Deutsch this week. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week to cover even more from the wonderful world of German football. I hope to see you then, but for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.